In your Bibles this morning to 1 Timothy uh, chapter 6, part 2 of our message, Every Believer's Fight, and if you'd stand with me, no list today, no list of things your father will never say, no list things your father, somebody said, what? Because you know the list, y'all know you've heard it long enough, um, I will give you one. It's probably the paramount one. Things you will never hear your father say. You can just live to be 100 and you'll never hear him say, it wasn't the dog, it was me. You'll, ne- you'll never hear that phrase. Come, five of you know what I'm saying. Never mind. Okay, back to preaching, back to preaching. First Timothy chapter six. If you're there, say amen. But you, man of God, are person of God, Flee from these things and strive for uprightness, strive for godliness, strive for good faith, for love, fortitude, and a forgiving temper. So for you to strive for it must mean that God will not do that for you. Exert all your strength in the honorable struggle for the faith. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold of the life of ages. You remember we said that's not eternal life because you already have that. It's the, it's the enjoying and expressing that life in this world to which you were called. It's God's expectation. When you made your noble profession of faith before many witnesses, I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all creatures and of Christ Jesus who at the bar of Pontius Pilate made a noble profession of faith that you keep God's commandments stainlessly and without reproach to the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. God did not call us to be militant in our interaction with people, but he called us to be soldiers, soldiers of his, earnestly contending for the faith, fighting for truth, fighting for light, Uh, fighting for the souls of people, that we are to sacrifice our popularity and our acceptance to be the person that engages darkness and pushes back against the forces of this world, uh, the spirit of this world, because the God of this world hath blinded the eyes of them that believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel should shine unto them. If you're not fighting... To make a difference. Well, I'm just, my Christian life has been reduced to what I don't do. I don't go clubbing no more. I'm not sleeping around. I'm not getting drunk or stoned. I'm not doing any of those things. That's not, that's just consecration. That's sanctification. But fighting, fighting to make a difference in your home, your community, in the local church. My question is, if you're not fighting, whose side are you on? We're all soldiers. You're just either a good one or a bad one. Either present or AWOL. And there's no excuse to go AWOL. And God knows those that are faithful and effective and fruitful in this kingdom. And I I want to stir again today. And if you will allow me uh, just a quick moment, I want to pray for myself. And you pray with me because I don't want to ever do this alone. So, Father... I just present myself before you as simply as I know how, 
and uh, humbly as I know how, and I declare publicly that there is no ability or capacity in me, uh, nor would I ever lean and demands wisdom or, or, or tricks or communicative gifts to communicate truth. Your spirit reveals truth. And I'm asking for that anointing on my life, on my words, and allow today, O oh Lord, to be uh, that effectiveness, uh, that effective for your son's sake, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. For those of you that weren't here last week, number one, the fight to stay his. Not factually, but practically. To stay his exclusively, completely. To stay his without reserves. To stay his privately. To stay his publicly and contentedly. Number two, the fight to stay disciplined. Disciplined in our study, in our worship, in our prayer. Disciplined in our submission, in our following of the Lord. Disciplined in service and in ministry. And if you missed last week, you can get, of course, a DVD or CD here in the foyer or online at ChristChapelMacon.com. Number three, probably the meat of this message. You have to fight to keep your heart pure. God will never do that for you. He gave you a new heart. He gave you new life. But the maintaining of that life is your responsibility. And if a Saul wants to abandon God and go and visit witches and mediums to talk to dead people, he'll let them. If the prodigal wants to leave the father's house, he'll let them. He lets you know that what you have you could not do for yourself, the new life. But he will not keep it for you. Anybody else experienced garden and yard problems after the 30 days of rain? Those are, any of y'all got that buy high grass out by the road? If Kelly and I had waited one more week, like with the three, 30 days of rain, one more week, we could have sold our farm as a private reserve, like the Everglades. It was crazy. So there has to be the maintaining of it. There has to be uh, the diligent daily, moment by moment, sometimes hourly, a systematic keeping. We have neighbors that take care of their property and we have other neighbors that let it get to the wildlife preserve part about once a month and they come out and cut it and you got two foot of Baja grass laying on top of it and they're, they're happy with what they're doing and you go, that doesn't look well. And it doesn't look well in the life of the believer when they maintain once a month. It doesn't, it's not good. It doesn't look good. It doesn't, God knows the difference. And if yard work were easy, more people would do it. And there's a difference between, I cut the grass. Well, did you edge it? Edge it? Yeah. Did you blow it off? And those of us that have commercial equipment, you know how you blow off the yard. You blow the yard off, not just the sidewalks, and blow it off. And then you get the water on it. You pack the pine straw. Then it's finished. And that other person that just cuts it and goes, Done. Well, our heart, when it's not taken care of, it's kind of like bad breath. You're the last one to know. <laughs> Everybody else in the neighborhood knows. Listen, God knows. It's not enough to come once a month and 
yawn through the service and listen to the Word of God and make a couple of changes. What is the condition of your heart? How's your soul? Well, at my church, the pastor, you know, he, he just doesn't feed us at my church, and I'm, I'm dying there. No, 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 whoa, whoa, time out, time out, time out. You're connected to Jesus Christ. He's the vine, you're the branch. And if you abide in him, you'll bear fruit. So if you're withering up or you're dying, then you aren't connected to him. You're not. Pro now, that pastor may be no benefit. He may be of no help to you. And you could say, well, it's hard because I'm not getting much at the church. But the, we, one of the greatest things you can do for yourself is what we are telling the, the public to do in the West. And stop this thing of entitlement and take care of yourself. Just take care of yourself to the best of your ability. Well, now, for us as Christians, well, the pastor and my teacher and my wife and my mom and my grandmother's your rock. No, no, you take care of your heart because out of your heart are the issues of life. Your heart needs water. Your heart needs the water of his spirit. Your heart needs the word. It needs pruning. It needs all of these things. So let, let me get to my message here. The fight to keep your heart pure. Above all else, with all diligence, keep your heart. Above all else means what? Above all else. Not works. If the heart is pure, if the heart is healthy, and if the heart is well, works will flow from it. Naturally. Healthily. Our problem is we're trying to produce beauty in a yard that's not been maintained. We're trying to produce godliness in a heart that's been overcome. You have to do it. And it really is simple. It's simple. It's not complex, but it's hard because it has to be done so often. And here's how you guard your heart. Two things. It must be connected exclusively to Jesus Christ. Okay? And it must be weeded. And by weeded, I mean any, it's not just weeds, but any foreign substance that hinders that connection. You, it don't matter if you dig it up, flamethrower, whatever you, gone. Let me break it down closer. Brothers, sisters, best friends, jobs, uh, opportunities. By the time you hinder my relationship with Jesus Christ, then except for responsibilities, our relationship is over. I, that doesn't mean we cut them off and don't talk to them. It means you're not in my inner circle because I can't keep my heart healthy and walk with you. Oh, Jesus would never ask us. Come out from among them, says the Lord, and be ye separate, and I will be a father unto you and receive you unto myself. You can't guard your heart without cleaning the garden. That's what goes in the eye gate, what goes in the ear gate, the relationships. We have to monitor that. And, you know, I told you all the other day, we were watching Doc McStuffins. Y'all, you wouldn't believe how many kids shows are on television. 
And she was, Doc McStuffins plays with the little stuffed animals and they all come to life and she's their doctor and they went over to one girl's house where she had two mommies. I'm like, it's Doc McStuffins. And immediately we have to go in, turn off, explain to our children, what are you doing? I'm just weeding, weeding their heart. How is it that we see it clearly to do for our children and not understand that we're the children of God? Guard your heart. Don't... Sitting there in your car listening to music, she's acting single and I'm drinking double. And I'm leaving her. I found another man. and Singing all that and think you're going to go home and love your husband. Or vice versa. How do you guard your heart? You ain't going to like this, but it's the truth. Oh, John, give us a list. Mm, there's no, that's legalism. I'm not going to give you a list and we'll give you the word. Whatsoever things are true. Whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, lovely, of a good report. If there's virtue in that person or that thing or that habit or that hobby, and if there's any praise for the Lord in it, think on those things. All right, Brother John, you said your piece. Can I say mine? Absolutely. If I do that, my life becomes this narrow. Exactly. For broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many go in thereby. Narrow is the way that leadeth unto life. And few there be that find it because they are looking for preachers that tell them they can live as they want and they are Lord of their life and go into, a hev into heaven. And it is impossible. You don't go into heaven because you're carrying all the stuff on the broad way. You're carrying all the stuff on the broad way is evidence that the life of God and the Lordship of Jesus Christ is not in you. You see, that we're denied access not by the things, not by the evil in the garden, not by all of the possessions that are contrary to God's will. That's not what keeps us out. That's the evidence that the Lordship is not in. So anybody going to heaven that doesn't know him as Lord? I have preachers, yeah. I said, no. Well, I accept, they accepted him as Savior, but not Lord. He, he doesn't have two personalities. Okay, y'all are just staring at me this morning. Let me, let me get real close down. How many of y'all been married longer than two weeks? Okay. And you, after about the two-week mark, you realize, mm-hmm, that goes both ways. I'm not talking about my wife. That goes both ways. I'm the equal opportunity crazy person. That goes both ways. Not that you are. I'm talking about my end. Okay. And you, can you imagine saying, well, I, I want the sweet part, but I don't want the urter part. I don't want the, the this or the that. And you just have to understand, baby, when you married me, you got the, the whole thing. And see, marriage teaches you to pray. That's the whole purpose of marriage. You ain't got to sing, draw me nearer and nearer. Just get married. You'll be near. Now, did marriage change your life? Let me go over here to my buddies over here. Did children change your life? One, two, three, four, five, six. That, when, when you add those dynamics, what truly happens outside of the many blessings? Your life gets more narrow, more narrow, more narrow. And the man and woman live for the child. When they get married, they submit to one another. Okay, narrow, narrow. 
when you receive the Lord, he comes in and he rules over it all. And if you have a, a, a Christianity that does not have a lordship, which means when God, you read something and you say, yes, sir, you bow your knee. And though I don't like to use little, you know, quotes that other, but it's the truth. If he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. That's the truth. That's the truth. It's the truth. And many people that go to church are not making heaven. And it's not because of the things that they do in practice. It's that the things they do in practice are the evidence that Christ is not Lord in their life. Savior is how, I, how he found me. Lord is my reaction. Lordship is my reaction to that new birth. When Saul was knocked from his donkey and a light shined from heaven and blinded him. And he said, who are you? He said, I am Jesus Christ. The one you're persecuting. And he said, what would you have me do? He said, who are you, Lord? What, the first thing, what would you have me do? You're Lord and I'm not. Guard your heart above all else. To keep your heart single and exclusive. God said, you shall have no other gods before me. Many of you know this, but I did not know this until early on in my pastorate. That does not mean you cannot have gods ahead of me. It means before me in my sight. Not ahead of me. Thou shalt not have any. Which means you can have some other gods. Just make sure they're behind me. It says not before me. You remember how your grandparents used to say, Get them out of my presence. Or get out of my sight. I don't even want to see it. The Lord says, You shall have no other gods before me. Now how far does his sight go? Well, Brother John, what's another God? Anything, idolatry, anything that competes for your affections. Now, by competes, like you can say, well, what about your children? No, I, I love my children, but my children do not have the power over me to pull me from the Lord and his ways. Okay, so competes for. Competes for your affections or your will. Whoever has the last say in your life is your Lord. If your children have the last say in your life, they are your Lord. If your spouse has the last say in your life, she's or he's the Lord. And if you have the last say, you're the Lord. And you say, well, no, it don't work like that. Yes, it does. Lordship means final supreme authority. And when you hear a believer say, well, I know what the Bible says, but just put your lightning rod up and walk off. Just... That's the, that statement is one of the scariest statements and clearest articulators of the condition of someone's heart. I know what the Lord says, but. Reverence. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. None of us are perfect. And when we sin, we have an advocate and we can confess our sins and he's quick and able to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But rebellion is different. Rebellion is, I don't care what you say. I'm Lord of my life. And believers don't, believers are professing believers. Uh, they'll, they'll, they'll practice things different than they say they believe. You can't have a Jesus without having a Lord. 
He doesn't split personality and take half and then the other half grow on you. And I'll get, go a step further. This may bother you, but it's, it's truth and we need to bow our knee before it. You were bought. You were bought with a price, paid for. Not with the blood of bulls and goats, but with the precious blood of the Son of God, paid in full. You are not just his son or daughter, you're his possession. That's why the pot can't say to the potter, why did you make me thus? We're missing, maybe 50 years ago, they missed the understanding that he was a father and you could come up in his lap and hold the Lord and he could hold you and be affectionate with you. And maybe the church was missing that, but that ain't what they're missing today. What they're missing today is the fear of the Lord and the awareness of of his majesty and his glory. I I saw a cartoon. It grieved my heart, but it was true. It showed the person, it showed uh, Moses walking up to the burning bush with a Starbucks cup like this. Now, if you brought a Starbucks in here or Coke, I'm not applying this to you unless it applies to you. It's what I'm trying to, as, as your pastor and a fellow sojourner, That's why we just can't drag in here late because I had to get a coffee. Or we can't just, well, it's just whatever, it's church. I'm meeting the Lord. It's still, it's still here, 20 years. And I know that there are, I know that I'm going to hurt someone's feelings. And if you came in late today, I'm not talking about today. I'm asking you about your heart. Something happens, stuff happens. And if we get here late and that's not our heart, God knows that. No one's walking around with a stopwatch. But how is it that it's not a big deal to you? If I'm meeting the Lord, that must be it. It's not a big deal because I'm going to church. But if I'm meeting the Lord, I want to be there. On time, I want to be there ready. I want to be there attentive. That's part of keeping my heart. And it does matter. It's not an issue of punctuality. It's an issue of we wouldn't be late for important things. Court, you're not going to be late. Some of your work, they write you up second time, write you up again third time, you lose your job. You we just, it's a miracle. Get to, that's the last thing I'll say. We, we can get to work at six. And can't get to God's house at 10? That's a reverence issue. That is a heart issue. And I'm sorry if if that upsets you. And I'll tell you this. If my kids are throwing up all over me and my wife and the flat tire. I'm not feeling guilty coming late. I left in time. I said, God knows it. Crazy car, crazy kids, crazy spouse. I can't help it. I'm free from all guilt. No false guilt. But it can't happen every Sunday. Okay, I'll just back out while I got you laughing a little bit. We'll just back out. Just, just. To keep your heart single and exclusive. To keep your heart free of offense. Offenses will come. They will offend often. I love, I'm not a mean person. But have y'all seen the one with Jackie Gleason? He said, good morning, America. What are we offended at today? <laughs> you know, what have we done wrong today? Okay. I know believers that are like that. Always offended. Always. That's a heart issue. Offenses will happen. Betrayal wounds you. Abuse of any kind. Misuse, abuse, used for abnormal purposes, uh, 
personal conflict, oh, those are true offenses. But what happens is we have those and then we have those we add on and we just say, well, it's just, it's just too much. No, every offense, every offense you have to deal with. And your pastor has been very open and honest with you of my struggles. And by struggles, I mean the areas where I choose to rebel. That's what, that kind of takes the, I just struggle with that. When people say I'm struggling, that means I'm still doing it. (laughs) Did you know that's what struggle with me? I'm still doing that. Uh, I don't play with this one. Ever. You can lie about me, you can. And it doesn't happen hardly at all. My church treats me wonderful. Not throwing a lob dart to someone, but no matter what you say or do, I'm good. Because I can't afford for God to walk out on me. Oh, we sing it. He'll never leave you. He'll never leave you. Read the whole context. Read both the goodness and the severity of the Lord. He said, if you do not forgive men, every man, every man, every trespass, so will my heavenly Father do to you. What? There was a man that was forgiven much, and, and uh, uh, the king, and God said, this is a story. He said, there was a, a man that owed this king this amount of money, and he forgave him all the debt. And then word got back to the king that the guy he let go held somebody else by the throat and says, where's the hundred dollars you owe me? He owed him a million. He's forgiven for a million. He's got this guy by the throat for a hundred dollars. Throws him in jail. The king brought him in for him. And here's what he said. He said, word got back to me that you did this. Did you do this? You wicked man. And the king, the Lord, there's the, there's the allegory. The king, the Lord. He, he said, you wicked man. I forgave you all that debt. And you would not forgive this man this debt? He said, throw him into the dungeon. Look at your Bible. Look it up at home. Throw him into the dungeon and release the torturers to this man until he pays the debt. So these are men that put them on the rack and stretch them till their limbs pop. The torturers. These are men that whip them bare-chested with a rope. And torture them till he can pay the debt. How can you pay a debt if you're in prison? Brother John, I saw what they did. I saw what that man did. I saw. And I just want you to know that I just thought that was. I said, stop. Before you even put me in a category of noble. Because you just forgave them. Oh, I didn't forgive them because of what they did. I forgave him because I was fearful of what the Lord would do to me if having forgiven me all my sins, then, I hope, because I'm just telling you, if he counts my transgressions, I'm done. I'm done. Well, you don't know what they did. Don't have to know. And you may have never done anything more horrible in your life than they've done. The issue is, If you do not forgive men their trespasses, Matthew 6, then God will not forgive you. And where do unforgiven people spend eternity? Well, I'm saved. If you do not forgive men their trespasses, your Father will not forgive you. Again, the unforgiveness shows evidence of the lack of life and lordship. We do not forgive them because of who they are. We forgive them because of the sinner we are. Today in my heart, no offense, 
What do you mean? No offense. They're forgiven. I pray for them. I pray for God's best. Okay, Pastor John, last 3%. You're going to be honest? Sure. Do you ever wish any bad thing upon them? I have the thoughts that if something bad happened to them, my flesh might go, yeah. And the moment I have that thought, I cast it down and I say, Lord, if I do that, then my sin, no, no, I don't. And I pray that they would be protected and forgiven. Wow, they don't deserve it. That's the point. I don't deserve it. I see my sin more clearly than theirs. And I got to guard my heart because I can't afford to be offended at you. And by that, I don't mean hurt. Hurt is not uh, ought. I'm still very hurt. May I tell you something I may not have told you before? I still have nightmares. Not often. I still have nightmares from the people that did the things that they've done to me. And I'll wake up and I'll just be so nervous and upset. And my wife will be, are you okay? I said, yeah, I just, I just had nightmares. And she just gives me that grace. And, and as soon as I wake up, I pray for them. I pray for them. So because you're hurt, people, I've heard pastors say, if you forgive them, then you've forgotten it. God didn't ask me. I can't forget what they did or didn't do. Can't, I can't forget, but I can refuse to remember it, to put it back together and relive it and hash it out and make the offense real. I still remember, but I forgive you. That's guarding my heart. That's guarding your heart. And you can forgive anybody of anything when you see it as a grace issue for your life. And I want to be under the umbrella of grace. Let them, they're on their own. And life flows back into you. Keep your heart tender. You have to fight to keep your heart tender. Your heart grows Hard because life beats on it. We're all wired differently. Some people's love language is words. Some people are deeds. Some men, I know their love language is a rack of ribs. You know, they come home and they, I love you, baby. That's that's, that's their language. That's their language. I forgot what I was going to say. The ribs threw me off. Hold, Hold on. Oh, keep your heart tender. Sometimes it's what people say that makes us hard-hearted. Do you know what it is for me? And it can be small or big, disappointment. I, do, do you know you, positive people are more prone to discouragement? What do you mean? Because we expect good. You got other people, don't, oh, this is going to be a horrible day. We'll see how it is. They're not disappointed. They're just mean. They're bitter. But if disappointment means this, you know, they did not make the appointment. I expected this and got this. I expected this at work, I got this. I expected this in my health, I got this. And you've got to fight to keep your heart tender. And, and you have to look at the disappointment and say, well, what do you do with disappointment, John? I outlive it. I mix in with mine and I'm prone to discouragement. That's an immaturity of mine. I mix it with gratitude. And here's how it will look. I'll start out a day discouraged or disappointment or frustrated. And then if I add all during the day my blessings 
And those of you that follow me on Facebook, you'll see me talk about my wonderful life or my wife or my babies. That's me telling myself, hey, while we're telling the truth, don't forget this 40 acres of God's grace in your life too. You see? And when you rehearse it all together, the disappointment becomes diluted. Keep your heart tender. Why is it important for a heart to be tender? Because a tender heart is receptive to the word of God. Remember how the seed fell on the wayside, that hard ground, and the devil comes and swoops it up? But a tender heart, when the word of God falls, when it's preached or taught or read, it falls on the heart and it goes in that soft soil and the soil goes on top of it. It doesn't just fall, it falls in and then the soil goes on top from it. And you get more, you'll say, man, I just, every time I hear a sermon, I get it, I get it. The sermon's not better. Your heart's better. Well, the sermon could get better. Y'all pray for me. It could, be, it could be better. A tender heart is sensitive to the presence of the Lord. You can sense him more easily, more fully. A tender heart is more sensitive to God's pleasure or grieving. When you walk closely to the Lord and you're sensitive to the Lord, the Bible talks about it being a circumcision of heart. And I've talked about this several times before, but for those that weren't here, and I'm not trying to be crass or graphic, but the Lord used the words. Circumcision of heart. And a circumcision, when you take a little boy's private and you pull back the skin that covers his private and you cut around it and stitch so that the head of his private is exposed to wind, touch, arousal, sensitivity. Uh, it's the most sensitive part on a little boy. And God says, that's what I want to do to your heart. Circumcise it. To cut back the hard layer and peel it back. Listen. So you'll know more quickly when I'm there. You'll be more sensitive to my touch. And you'll be more aware and more quickly aware when you grieve me. I can tell when you entered the room. And I can tell when you left the room. And Samson did not know that the Lord had left him. The Philistines are upon you. And he jumped up like he always did. And is there a sadder statement in the Bible? I did not know the Lord had left me. This is not just about you today. I'm confessing my heart and soul to you. One of the scariest things on my journey uh, is when I start preaching or living my Christian life out of my memory instead of out of my present. And when I catch myself doing that, I realize I'm having to remember it because I don't know where I am. How tender is your heart? Someone will preach about or say something about sin. And our reaction is, if I'm carnal, my reaction is to get offended at them. But that, that tender person isn't even thinking about John Wood. They fall to a knee and say, I grieved you, Lord. I know I did. I know I did. And to get back to that place, I'm giving you all of it today. To get back to that place... You just stay on your knees for a long time, sometimes weeks. 
And then you can get to the place and you go, there's not one thing between me and the Lord. Not one thing. But God will never do that for you. You have to, you have to get the heart back right. Circumcise your hearts. Plow your ground. Till your own garden. A tender heart is receptive to correction. A tender heart is easily led. A tender heart is the habitation of God. He says, where do I live? You want to know where I live? Well, we all house God. To a measure, the earnest of the spirit, yes. He said, I live with the humble person. What does that mean? He said, I move in. One with a contrite heart. It's not broken like somebody did you wrong. It's broken that they broke it so it would stay tender. He said, that's where I live and dwell. I live and dwell with someone with a tender heart. A tender heart and repentant heart. Listen, a tender heart repents. That's what I love about David. And I reserve the right, Ben, if you'd come on up. I reserve the right to later preach a message on repentance alone. But David repented so good. When we think of David, we think of psalmist, warrior, Historically, the greatest king in the history of the nation of Israel in all time. He slept with women that weren't his wife. Had their husband murdered. Think about this. Had the husband murdered. But David repented good. And he would weep before the Lord and he would say, This is nobody against you and you only have I sinned. Create in me a clean heart. Whatever you got to do, tear up my insides. Create in me a clean heart. And David repented and he received mercy. Now, he also was judged. He lost children. David lost children because of his sins. One of his sons... God said, because you slept with this woman in private, I'm going to cause your shame to be public. And one of his sons raped his wife on the roof of the palace. So everybody could look on. But David still received mercy. Listen to what Josiah did. Josiah's called for the, the word of God to be read like I'm doing today. And when it was read, he grieved in his heart and said, we are so guilty and you're going to judge us. Have mercy on us, oh God. We're guilty of everything. Have mercy on us. And God said, because of your repentance, it won't happen in your lifetime. But when you're gone, I'm destroying this place. And he received mercy. God does not want us to live in fear. He wants us to have life because of our fear. Just a basic reverence and fear of the Lord. And a tender heart repents. I don't know if anything can be more detrimental in a family where the husband or wife won't repent and ask for forgiveness and apologize. Same in the faith. You've got to keep your heart unburdened. Martha, Martha, you're worried about, Jesus said, so many things. Well, no, she was worried about the meal. Jesus said, no, no, the meal just brought out all the other stuff. She's just worried about and so encumbered with so much stuff. Clear your garden. I can prove it. Martha, one thing is essential. Just one. Those things are important. They're not essential. Those are important, not essential. 
And Mary chose the best part and she's not going to lose that. See, Mary will get to what you're doing, but you'll never get to where Mary is unless you do it. You just have to drop the pots and the pans, not to get attention, and come sit at my feet. And finally, you have to keep your heart through proper diet. Digesting the things that create peace, love, and joy, and long-suffering. I was toying with the idea, and I still may get to it, uh, of doing a series. I was thinking of this summer, but I don't know, called Vital Signs. Any paramedics here? Todd, first thing you do is what? Vital Signs. I mean, anybody comes in, and can I put you on the spot? Why is that the first thing? Why, why is that before anything else? You have to know where they're at right then. So it will tell you what their mouth may not tell you. Vital signs. What are the vital signs of the faith? Okay. Nearness to the Lord. What are your desires? Do you desire God and the things of God? That's a vital sign. That's a vital sign. Free to worship. That's a vital sign. People that are free to worship don't talk about personality types. The quiet man, like my buddy Jeremiah, the quiet reserved man is still quiet and reserved and his hands go up because I'm grateful. I'm grateful. It's not about being quiet or extroverted. The vital signs, I worship freely. And then when he's done worshiping, hands go back down and he's quiet. You see? Vital signs. The people of God. The things of God. The word of God. The worship of God. The love of God. Not church. Unless church is the vehicle that helps you love God and the things of God and the people of God and the purposes of God. So if I were to take your spiritual vital signs, how are you? How are you today? And what if I told you, you don't need a physician or a priest or a pastor or a prophet or a king. You just need to go home and connect and weed because the flow that comes from Jesus the blood of his Christ his son cleanses us from all sin and God cleanses us from unrighteousness when you weed the garden and nothing fights for that connection life flows from Jesus and the weak become strong the impatient become patient the troubled become at rest the, the cold heart becomes warm. And give me just a, just a minute or two more. I have, to, I have to cover this for those of us from Pentecostal, charismatic background. And I am Pentecostal. Filled with the Spirit, praying in tongues. I believe in all the gifts. But listen, we substituted God's way for this way. Now come on down. Come on down. Now watch. Come on down. I'm going to give it to you. Fire! And they follow. Oh, oh. Because that didn't cost you anything the way to health and wholeness is not found under the hand of an apostle a prophet a pastor a preacher a king the way to wholeness is being attached to the vine the vine that's wholeness and if I knock you to the ground you didn't have to weed your garden you got what you wanted no my garden's still jacked up I gotta clean the garden 
So I'm walking through the garden this morning, not me, but the Holy Spirit, and says, what's that? What's that? What is that? Well, this is just a little thing. Yeah, but it's wrapping around the connection and it's pulling you away. Who's that? Well, they, no, no. Guard your heart because God will not do it for you and no one else can do it for you. And the results, the results of the person that fights to keep their heart pure. Y'all look this way. We're almost done. As your heart gets pure. The results of the one that wants to fight to be tender gets tender. And for me, you may be different for me. I know I'm right when I, I weep easy. I came into church last week, stood there. First, no, I mean, I, it's just, that's just me. You might have a deep sense of, but you know you, you know you. And if we're not good, it's because we have not guarded our heart. The fight is up to you. The victory is attainable. And the results are irreversible. May I just encourage you as my family that I love so dearly, lay hold of life. For your soul, fight for health, fight for who you once were. Remember, repent, redo the first works, get it back, get it all back, get the tenderness back, get the worship back, get the passion back. Had a lady tell me not too long ago, she said, I used to just dance before the Lord. I'm like, who took your shoes? And I wouldn't be funny, I said, who took them? Well, they just got lost in, in here somewhere amongst all the clutter. Get them back. Get them back. If Jesus tarries by the end of summer, you can be as powerful as you want to be, as pure as you want to be, as purposeful and as fruitful as you want to be. If you're attached to the vine and nothing is hindering that, everything's fine. That's how you do it. But you got to weed your garden. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? I'm not going to ask you to come to the front, but I am going to ask you to do something. But no one looking around but the Lord It's not enough to think a thought. We we have to put words and action to it. God, if this is the echo of your heart in just a moment, I just want you to stand and then we're going to go home. God, today, before the sun goes down, you and I are going to spend uninterrupted time and I'm going to weed some things in your presence. If that's you, and I'm not looking around either, I want you just to stand. God, today, before the sun goes down, you and I, I'm going to repent before you and I'm going to weed my garden. I give you my word. I give you my word, Lord. Would the rest of you stand with me this morning? Last thought promise you can't lose this battle if you fight it you cannot lose this battle if you fight it because God would not ever give you a command and not the power to fulfill that command fight the good fight of faith you can do it
Let this be the summer to remember. My prayer for you is that you can look back if Jesus tarries at the end of this summer and say with integrity, I can't ever remember being closer to Jesus Christ than I am today. That's my prayer for you. Is that a good prayer? Y'all have a wonderful week. God bless you. Happy Father's Day.